Yeah. That's a Portal-specific discussion, That since none of us have played Portal in probably five, six years. Um, maybe not the right place for that. What are you talking about? I replay that game every Monday. <laughs> Zoe, why? <laughs> Zoe's like, yeah, I don't have any time these days, but part of it's because I play Portal every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe is a Portal speedrunner? recording um so for this week we're gonna do intros but we're not just gonna do intros we're gonna do intro then give just a brief idea of how much experience you've had with the platformer genre just sort of context for like where, where are you coming from when it comes to playing a game like this you know someone like adam might be an expert and someone like me might be bad so just sort of like keep that context in. i think that's something that could could add a bit so yeah um adam do you want to start Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm Adam Stafford, the resident mechanics gremlin. Um, I've played a fair bit of these kinds of games, these kinds of hardcore, plat hardcore platformers. I actually, um, and I'll talk about more about this later, uh, played the original Celeste um, back when it was on HIO as a Pico 8 game. Oh, weird. Ah. You mean the one that's in the game? Oh, I didn't realize that was in the game. Um, it is in the game. We will get there. Um, <laughs> hi, uh, I'm McCoy Tamler, uh, also known as, hey, I'm going to let you finish, and then I don't. Um, <laughs> and um, I have very little experience with the platformer genre. I mean, I've played, like, Prince of Persia when I was, like, 10, and it was rad. Um, but, like, other than that, I mean, the most experience I have is, like, weird offshoot platformer things, like Super Smash Brothers or... Um, things like, I think, Dead Cells, which is more of an action game done in a platformer world. But uh, these games are really, really hard for me. Uh, so that's where I come to this thing as, is like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the top of the mountain. <laughs> uh, anyways. Perfect. Yeah. I'm Zoe Beckett. I'm back after two weeks of absence. Um, I am the resident narrative game darling of this group. And because I'm the narrative game darling, I suck at platforms. <laughs> so anything that involves any type of timing or pinpoint precision, I don't do well. And we will get into it and my grievances and my sufferings. All right. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah. Very happy that you're back. We're getting the band back together. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, except Gabe. So yeah. Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> her recipes game <laughs> uh, so this is like where we had the replacement bassist or something like we're almost there you know but um, right. not quite exactly. for the record he is not actually dead He's just so really if sick. you're friends or family of Gabe and you're worried that this is how you find out um, it's not he's yeah. fine no he's fine way. he's just sick well he's sick I don't know fine but yeah sick um, so yeah. sorry James go ahead <laughs> so I'm James Harold uh I have played some platformers in the past, but not very many. So I feel like I had flashes of greatness combined with tons and tons and tons of dying throughout this game. It was pretty fun. 
We should have introduced with our like death count so far. Oh, God. Like, oh my God. Hi, my name is Zoe. I, I have died 1,152 times, and I only got to the second chapter. <laughs> That's not true, I mean, by the way. I'm just pulling right that number off. But I was going to be like, so I got to the high. So my stats, actually, I got to the top of the mountain. Um, I And it gives you a little like readout of how you did um, and how long yep. it took you and stuff. So I got 123 of the total 175 strawberries. Um, wow. I died... 1,486 times, and it took me seven hours and about 20 minutes. Did you do that all this nice. week? Yes. God damn. Um, these kinds of games, like, the same thing happened to me with Super Meat Boy. Um, I never got through, like, the full... I didn't do, like, everything, everything, um, but I, I, you know, devoured those games. Mm. Um, so I think I've got, like, 25 hours in Super Meat Boy. So this is your jam? Kind of. Um, it's it's a thing that I can get into maybe about once a year, um, mm. and but then do get into. Uh, so yeah. So you've reached I your really 2019 quota on platformers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm probably going to keep playing Celeste unless you guys make me play something different. But um, we probably will. Yeah. Speaking of, what is Celeste, James? So Celeste is a recently released hardcore platformer. Came out last year. Uh, won a few awards. Um, it is a game about jumping and anxiety and depression. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a strange combo, don't you think, guys? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that kind of describes it. You're trying to climb to the top of Celeste Mountain, um, and along the way you meet some interesting characters you struggle with your own self uh and um you know sometimes you call your mom yeah that's we all do yeah so i guess the first thing i want to talk about is just like the pairing of these two concepts right that it's a hardcore platformer paired with a you know talk or, or not talk but you know paired with narrative around anxiety and depression because to me as an inexperienced player, uh, and I don't fault the game for this, but I, at least for the first hour when I was playing, it was like, okay, so this is the most frustrating thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's like trying to soothe me at the same time, like, don't worry, you can do it. And I'm like, no, I fucking can't. Like, leave me alone. Why are you talking to me like this? So um, were you playing yeah. with keyboard or with oh, the controller? fair question. I was playing with the controller and I think that helped. I especially because the controller had, I think, really smart bindings. Yeah. Where there's only really like three things. There's like movement, then there's jump, and there's dash. Uh, oh no, there's also grab and, and grab. Yes, you're right. Um, but the point is that that's four things, uh, and so they actually had alternative bindings all across the controller for everything. So you could choose which hand you wanted to use for a lot of the things. You could grab with your left finger, or grab with your right finger. You could, uh, you know, dash with this button or with this button. And um, so I went away from like what I would consider to be the default towards what was more comfortable with me and on the controller at least, and that helped a lot. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I would also use the uh, the D pad which is a more like keyboard style movement for very specific straight dashes, um, which would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm curious, anybody else use controller or keyboard? What, what were you guys up to? Yeah, I was on controller. I was on keyboard and um, 
I was talking to Adam before the episode about this, but the main thing I struggled with was trying to find a cohesive keyboard binding for myself to make the movement seem seamless and to not get my mind mixed up around which buttons do what. The The default keyboard settings were probably like my largest complaint about the game just because it was very odd. Like jump is C, um, dash is X, and to grab is both V, Z, and the shift. And you look at it and you're like, those keys are all in a line. That kind of makes sense. But when it actually came to stringing the movements together, it was very easy to fat finger and misstep. And so I played like the first 20 minutes of the game with those default settings and just could not do it worth my life. So um, I didn't get far in the game, but that's because I kept on restarting it using different keyboard bindings. And finally, I found one that actually worked. Um, so instead of using the traditional up, down, left, right keys on your keyboard, I used the WASD, jump with spacebar, dash with shift, and then all the way over on the left-hand side, I used the question mark key or like the forward slash question mark key as my grab. And that actually seemed to work for me. Um, but it that took makes a so much more sense time. than the standard controls, just to me thinking about it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, and having played games like, you know, with the WASD, like spacebar is always traditionally jump for me, so I was able to have a little bit more muscle memory with that. Um, even so, I wish I had a controller, um, or at least I hooked up a controller to see the difference, because. Everyone who I've seen excel very well at this game all use controllers, so I'm very curious. So I started on keyboard, uh, and I encountered the exact same problem that you did, Zoe, where about 20 minutes in, I made it past, like, three screens, maybe? Uh, like... The first one I died on like six times, <laughs> like the very first screen. And I was like, what is going on? It's, <laughs> it's very awful. hard. Yeah, I think I died like 10 times. and I was like, oh, yeah. boy, here we go. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I thought I was kind of OK at platformers. And I just died six times on the first screen, which is like a jump or maybe it's two, but it's like not much. And so I was like, screw this, and purchased the game again on my roommate's uh, Switch. Oh. And okay. just used his Pro Controller um, to play. And it in instantaneously made it easier and more fun. Um, okay. Quick, yeah, quick aside yeah. about the Pro Controller that I'm just curious about. Yeah. Um, I've noticed that... Nintendo has to make adapters for the GameCube controller essentially till the end of time now because of Smash fans. But is the Pro Controller a good controller? Like as a normal human being that doesn't play Smash at a hardcore level, can you use that thing like a normal controller and be cool? Yeah, so imagine the Pro Controller is just like a PlayStation or Xbox standard controller. Because it is. <laughs> okay, okay it just sure. has It just has different button names. It's just... Okay. A, it's just... Yeah, it's just a good controller. 
Um, for Smash, uh, I use the GameCube controller still, but... Wow, so you're hardcore. Uh, no, I just can't adapt. Oh, with this, James? <laughs> no, I, no just... I just, I just, you know, I just can't, I, I can't adapt uh, oh. to the new controller. And there are multiple GameCube controllers in this apartment, so it's fine. Fair enough. And then the other thing I'd want to say is that to to people here who like like I think like Zoe basically, or maybe even you, James, that I would recommend getting like an Xbox One controller, just because it plugs into a PC really easy and it can play most games. Um, alternatively, you can get a PlayStation 4 controller, which you might already have, and you can get a program that remaps it to look like an Xbox controller. You just have to have the ability to navigate cognitive dissonance while the, all the key bindings say like A and B, and you're like, no, it's an X and a circle. <laughs> um, but if you, but yeah, then you can do that too. I just, I think that's a rad thing to have in general. I think that really like for me, for certain games, like just revolutionizes revolutionizes PC gaming because I feel like. The second you can take a leaned back approach with a controller, you're just, it's like a whole different world. It's like, you know, that console gaming feeling of just like, man, I'm just chilling uh, while you're panic screaming playing this fucking game. But, um, <laughs> you know, it still works. So I don't know. I would just advise that. Whatever. Do what you do. But I, it's helped me a lot. And I'm really thankful for the controller setup that I have for, for a lot of PC games. So I had a controller that Adam actually gave me for my birthday or something back in college and then i can't find it now and i bought myself an xbox a bunch of years ago and then i gave that to a friend of mine because i don't play it anymore so i just like don't have any controllers anymore so just trying to go back to celeste right now i think mccoy before we got into this whole (laughs) keyboard versus controller talk we were talking about does the story fit well with the premise of the game the platformer genre um and i think just to jumpstart that conversation um i think personally to me um i kind of felt like the difference between going through the platformer itself and dying constantly and then the quiet moments when you reach the end of a particular stage um and then there's a little mini cutscene there um i unfortunately thought it was a little just disjointed and i kind of want to spark a not a debate but a conversation just about that i felt it was very disjointed just because at least for me it took me a very long time to get through the platformer stages and then the cutscenes themselves are very short and meaningful and in- intimate. But at the same time, they were so few and far between that I often forgot about the character of Madeline's own personal struggles as I was dying constantly. And so it kind of detracted for me in those elements. And I wanted to get your guys' opinions on that. Yeah, um, I thought that like as a uh, platformer, this game is really, really good. Um, and I'll talk more about that later. Um, and I thought that the, they, they handled a lot of the, like, conversational scenes well, but that they were not integrated particularly well. And that's fine. Like, the game is a really fun platformer and it does some cool things, um, story wise. But there's not, like, a thing where the gameplay informs the story and the story informs the gameplay. 
Um, they try to do this in a couple of places later on. I, I think I'm the only one who actually climbed the mountain. Yep. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I'm not particularly well equipped, equipped to talk about the themes that this game tries to get at. Um, but I didn't see a ton of relation between the gameplay and the um, themes that the narrative part of the game is trying to get at. And I actually saw, and I'll talk more about this later as well, um, one bit where it, it seemed to kind of fight itself. Um, actually, I could get into that now if you guys don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so this is a spoiler for people who are bad and can't play platformers. Um, wow. But wow. Later on, wow. <laughs> Um, I'll have you know I was scraping by at hour six, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can kind of do this maybe. So Wait, how, how far did you get, McCoy? Yeah, should we um, say how far I, we got? Yeah, okay, so I um, cleaned the hotel. That's where I'm at. Um, I entirely. And I also, like, so I think that's stage three, maybe? Or, yeah. or, or four, yeah, three. Um, I also went for all the strawberries that I could see and enjoyed that challenge and enjoyed struggling to get that even though i'm not particularly good so i definitely extended my time by just saying like i'm gonna fucking get that thing i know how to do it um, yeah that's yeah. another super cool thing about this game but i'll put a pin in that um so james how far did you get and how long did you play um i got what's after the hotel i think i got to the one after that uh i think that's the ascent to the gondola All right, I didn't. I, think I didn't finish there. that. Um, I stopped before I finished that. Yeah, but yeah, and I didn't even get past the cleaning the hotel. I just got to the hotel by the time I was done. Um. Okay. Um. So there's a scene later um, that I want to talk about where um. So you get to the. Uh, you, you're near the summit of the mountain, and then uh, Battleline, uh, the the part of you, and I'm calling her Battleline because that's what uh, the Steam trading cards call her, <laughs> and I thought that was very funny. Um, so Battleline, you, well, you show up and you you try to confront confront this part of you uh, that represents anxiety and depression, which has been brought out by the mountain, um, and you try to confront her and kind of like tell her you don't need her anymore, um, and then she, you know says fuck that and throws you down the mountain um and uh you, you know, crash you down at the very base of the mountain and you have to do some things there and while you're down there um you kind of figure out another way to confront uh this part of you um and there's this scene where you uh kind of the gimmick of that particular portion of the level is that you are chasing after battle line as she's launching attacks at you and every time you touch her um, she moves, it launches you back, and the cha stage changes very slightly, and you do that again. Um, so you're trying to, you're basically hitting her just as she was trying to hit you um, back in the, the old fort. Um, and you're chasing her around that way. Um, and this could have had the potential to be a really cool scene um, from a narrative gameplay interaction standpoint. Um, but what you often see in those kinds of scenes, and I think this works well and is very sensible to do, is you'll lower the difficulty for those scenes. Um, right. Because then the player can, like, uh, you move through it quickly, it continues to have its narrative punch, it, it's a moment of triumph, and it is supposed to feel that way to the player, so you just quietly lower the difficulty for these sections. 
Um, at first it seemed like they were going to do that, but that's just because they were introducing mechanics, and this whole scene went on for a fair bit of time. Um, so by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, okay, yeah. Um, and then there's a big moment, and, and it's like, okay, I guess that's kind of cool. But it lost some of the punch that it could have had because it was long and didn't lower the difficulty substantially. Um, which is kind of a, like, from a platform perspective, I like that because it's a lot of fun platforming, but from a narrative part of the game, interacting with the gameplay part of the game perspective, um, it was a bit of a lose. Right, and we, mm. we talked about this in prior episodes. Um, I think you guys brought up the example of, like, uh, Mass Effect, where at the end you have a timer and you have to get to a certain point, but there's all these enemies hitting you. But it's nearly impossible for the gamer to fail to get to that point in the allotted time. And because they don't want it to lose the narrative punch by just suddenly dying. Um, and I do think, um, yeah, I think just on a narrative, maybe that's why I felt that this narrative for Celeste was very disjointed, just because the constant dying for me very well detracted from that narrative. And it is just kind of annoying when you're trying to be triumphing over battle line this you know this figure of your depression or just your negative thoughts and you keep on dying to it you're like what is this teaching me right now <laughs> like yeah why am i screaming why am i yelling at the fucking screen right now <laughs> yeah i think there's kind of like just a an unsolvable disconnect between those two concepts here where they were unflinching in their platformer nature. And I actually think that makes the gameplay kind of awesome, even though I'm bad at it. Like I see it and I would have loved to watch Adam play it. Cause I think he would have killed it and it would have been amazing. Um, I did then, die almost 1500 times. Of course. <laughs> um, and I died a ton too, but I just think it's like they, that genre when played like this in a hardcore setting just feels like it's, unashamedly mechanically based like you must perform a mechanical symphony in order to get past each screen mm. and um that just cannot like the 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 iteration of gameplay meaning i tried it i failed i tried it i failed i tried it i failed okay i figured out how to do it now i need to try it 38 more times in order to actually succeed um is just it just it, it just incongruent with a, a you know a narrative story that continues and has pacing and all sorts of stuff. Like you're gonna get stuck on places. And I just think they just decided, fuck it. Like, this is how it's gonna be. We want that type of gameplay. Therefore, the rest of it is secondary and that's okay. And maybe it can add a little bit here and there, but it can't be the forefront, which yeah. isn't even crazy. It's it just, it, but it's so clear that the way they decided to make those choices, you could not merge both. Yeah, and I think that's fine. Like I mentioned before, it's it's a good platformer, and it's first and foremost a good platformer. And they did some cool stuff otherwise, and that's but Luke, you kept calling it window dressing. Yes. Um, before the episode, that's how I see it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of appropriate. Um, that's how that's the sense that I got at least. It was really good window dressing. I liked it, but in the end, this is a hardcore platformer. Yes. Now, speaking to the hardcore platform part, though, something I wanted to talk about, this is something Zoe was telling me during the week as she was playing it, but she utilized a number of the handicaps, uh, which is this game is a hard fucking core platformer with a surprising, apparently, a surprising amount of tools to make it easier to adjust the difficulty to your skill level. Is that true? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
There is There are different versions of handicaps you can instill upon yourself uh, to make the game easier. Uh, one of them is you can slow down the game speed so you have more time in the air to calculate your jumps. Or you can also implement, um, you know, unlimited dashes so that way throughout the air, you know, if you screw up, you can just kind of try to quick dash a couple more times. Or you can just turn on instant invulnerability, which means there's just no possible way that you can die. If you fall down to the bottom, your character just kind of bobs there like, do something, do something. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, as someone who has not played a lot of platformers and then has christened myself or baptized myself more like it into this genre of platforming with such a brutal game, um, it was very nice to have that handicap to fall back on. I, I liked the challenge, but basically I, I instilled on myself, you know, if I died on a single screen 10 to 20 times, I'd turn on the handicap just to get to the next page. If there was, mm. if it was all just timing based and all just, you know, my fingers get all confused with which buttons do what. And so finally, just to get the progression going and to not get so enraged at the game, I would turn on that handicap. And I honestly, some gamers would argue that they feel like lame doing that, but honestly, I was just very happy because I was able to progress through that game and really absorb all of the ways the game wanted me to absorb it. The music, the, uh, the other mechanics that they want you to use, um, and so it was very nice that they allowed me to do that. And, you know, it was also rewarding if I was able to get through a screen without, you know, without dying so many times, because that was also rewarding in itself. Mm. I'm really glad you tried that out, because I saw that and I was like, this is such a cool idea. I love that they put this in. And they put a lot of care into it. Just, I don't know, this game has so many little things. Also, Did you notice that as you're going through the um, the menu to activate it, it plays a little chime that kind yeah, of plays out this little I, melody. Like when you're all typing you from, in your name as well. Like yeah. it just yeah, yeah, just these very subtle things that are just so charming about the game. The classic underwater sound where it changes the oh music. Oh my god, that was so cool. Right? It's pretty rad, yeah. right? Whoever did the sound design deserves like a medal for this game. It's like not only did they not cut corners, but they like found extra corners to add. That metaphor breaks down really quickly. <laughs> um, no, I'm following. But like <laughs> Like, in the hotel, if there's a broken window on the screen, you get a wind-whistling noise. Mm -hmm. um, like, cool. the chimes on all the menus, um, the way the music interacts with the gameplay is proper and good. Like, as they add mechanics, um, and as screen, like, sections change, it will add or remove audio tracks on top of the underlying melody, so it doesn't break the flow by starting a new track. Um, but if you go to like a quiet place, it will cut out all the, the drums and you'll just have the melody. Um, and if you, as you add mechanics, it adds more audio tracks on top so that the, the music hypes up as the difficulty ramps up over oh, the course rad. of the level. Um, it is not afraid to do really cool things with the music, um, without breaking the flow of the music. Uh, so like props to the sound design for this game. Um, I didn't remember looking at the credits and I don't remember the name but thumbs up to you. I even thought the death yeah. sound was oddly satisfying. I mean, you hear it so many times throughout this game, <laughs> but just that kind of like that whoosh whirl zoop kind of thing, like as you go back, like it, 
I'm sure if they did any other kind of noise where you have to hear it constantly, like the death noise was very non-invasive, um, but just satisfying enough where you almost don't mind it as much. Like, I remember, like, back in the days, I forget which game it was, but I was really little, and there's this really complicated game my cousins were playing, and every time you died, there's there'd be this, like, soundtrack, <laughs> and you had to hear it constantly to the point where even when you're dying, you're like, oh my god, get on with it. Yes, I know, I died. Like, and so just the yeah. fact that this death noise was just so succinct, but also just kind of, like, you know, oddly, like I said, oddly satisfying to listen to. Like, I appreciate that they did that in such a complex game. <laughs> they did a lot to make death pleasant in this game. Um, so uh, the death reset is very, very quick. Of course, um, which is a, I, so I'm so thankful. <laughs> like, if you don't do that in a game like this where you die this frequently, you're in trouble. Yeah, for like, sure. That's, that kills the game right there. Absolutely. Yeah. The music keeps playing. Um also, each level, I, I didn't notice this until later, but each level has a different, uh, like, wipe um, as it fades to black and comes back. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think for the hotel, it's like a keyhole-shaped wipe. Mm -hmm. um, for later in the level, after you've been tossed down the mountain, it's a big downward arrow that sweeps across the screen. And later, when you're climbing back up the mountain, it's a big upwards arrow. Um, so it's like little tiny details like that are really cool. Um, my one gripe about the deaths in this game is that they don't reset the... Um, the state of the world to where it was at the beginning. Like, this is common in a lot of these kinds of games where, so if there's like a rotating object, it will always start at like 12 o'clock when you join or when you spawn in. So you can predict where it's going to be and you can kind of get the timing down that way instead of having to like wait for a second um, before you start your, your memorized run. Um, they didn't do that in this game, which is curious because they did do it in the original Pico 8 game. Wait, are you sure they didn't do that? I swear they did. Uh, uh, there are definitely a couple places where they do not. There are times when they do. Certain things reset and certain things don't. Because I was definitely getting into what I deemed as speedrun patterns, where it's like, I could first cycle this. Come on. If I just run directly right at the beginning, I can skip this first obstacle perfectly. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. And so I yeah. guess in some places you can do that then, but maybe not at all. There were certain screens where I was looking for speedrun, like first first cycle things like i wouldn't normally but i was like i bet there's one here where i can just go real fast and it's actually easier than everything else <clears throat> god speedruns have taught us that right yeah like, so i've watched a speedrun of this game um and i thought it was fine when i watched it and then now playing it i'm like damn dude <laughs> Uh, so right. you're, you're saying that you looked at a speed run for a hardcore platform and was like this game looks easy i could do this yeah, it's called ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the screen that I, I, I was thinking of in particular was, I believe, in the hotel, um, where there's, like, evil dust mites circling the platforms that fall, and you have to, like, jump from one to another to another. Um, and uh, they definitely did reset where the dust mites are in their circles of, of the platforms. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just noticed the places where they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, like on a couple of the B-track levels where there's the cycling. Uh, and I guess they had to do it there, which is interesting because... Right. So if the when you go to find the little B-tracks, little hidden unlockables through the game, um, you go through a special level where it's kind of chip-toony and uh, there's these blocks that's 
purple blocks and blue blocks, which swap out which ones are active. Um, and that's in time with the music, but they, they can't restart the music every time you die. Um, yeah. But that wasn't the only place that I saw that. I think I saw it one or two other places where they didn't quite reset the, the level to where it was. So you had to reevaluate your timing every time. But um, yeah. I wonder if, do you think it's possible that those were B-track, which sounds like, but I'm not sure, like the harder versions of things. Is it possible that they were using that as a mechanic to fuck with you? Uh, no, I, I only very briefly touched the B-track. Um, okay. Uh, oh, like where you unlock the B-track stuff? No, no, I was just saying like, um, is it possible that they reset the world in the normal playthroughs, but then in the hardcore B-track versions they didn't? I was just curious if that was possible. Um, aren't the I did not notice like, that to be the case. Aren't the B-tracks just like little mini, um, they're like single screen challenges for the most part in order to get the bonus music? That's no, oh, okay. so the B track. I mean, there they, there is that. It's usually hidden hidden through each level. There is the, the B track unlock stage, which is what I was just talking about. Um, but once you've unlocked that, you can go and you can play the hard mode of each level. Oh, okay. Um, which utilizes that that level's particular gimmick mechanic, um, and makes it way way harder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, for hard mode. Hard modes make it harder. Weird, right? <laughs> I know, but on a game like this, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. Like... Well. Yeah, this game has a lot in common with Super Meat Boy. Um, it's uh, both of them started out as little flash games. Meat Boy started not flash games, but mini games that were put up online. Um, Celeste started out as a game that was released in I think two thousand and five on itch.io made on with pico 8 wasn't it like and, made during uh, like a game jam session like some game jam competition mm -hmm. or something yeah in four days um and it actually has a lot in common with it's got the same dashes it even has the the monument you collect strawberries which are worth a thousand points which is comical because there's no point there's no score in the full version of celeste but they still give you a thousand points yep. which i thought the, that was cute yeah. Um, so the Pico 8 actually is present in the game. It's a hidden collectible that you can't. So I, I would assume that's the original game. They might as well, right? Um, yeah. And so it's collectible in the hotel. Uh, there's like a scene. I don't remember exactly what it is, but the point is you go into like some gutters or rafters. It's, it's really the rafters. It's up at the top. And you, you get this. And so I played like 20 levels of it. Yeah. Um, it was fun. Uh, you can see the mechanics are very similar. Like they, the only thing they don't have is the climb. Right, the grab and climb. Is that right, mm -hmm. game, James? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you yeah. you just wall jump. Which the wall jump is pretty badass. Yeah. Like when the, I actually every time I was wall jumping in a correct way, it was fucking badass. Where you just bounce, 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 bounce. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which like there are very few portions of this game that they just give it to you. Um, but in the very specific instances where they just give it to you and they say just, okay, all you have to do is wall jump like a badass and smash the button here and you'll just dodge everything. Those were just so insanely satisfying as someone who struggled through every moment of the game. Just there are certain moments where you're like, oh my God, I'm doing it right for the first time. And it's just like, feels amazing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. okay, wait, here's a question, right? So when I came to this game, the, what I kept thinking, cause I'm a cynical asshole is just that I was like, okay. Um, this game's going to be overhyped, A, because I've heard way too much about it. Um, B, it's going to, this 2D pixel art game is going to fucking tell me about anxiety and depression. Um, and I'm fucking rolling my eyes already. Do you guys think that after having played this game, it 
surpass like it goes past those expectations do you think it's deserving of the hype that it got and and maybe it had something to say about anxiety and depression that wasn't just like we slapped that aesthetic on it because it's freaking rad nowadays and it's like the way to get money <laughs> i mean i'm serious it really is though it's like the new narrative in games is like what if we talked about depression that'd be rad wouldn't it um <clears throat> and especially in game dev circles especially in all that it's like what if we made a game that talked about this shit um is like the new shit so i'm just curious you guys think it transcends that um, well, to start, uh, I think it, people are allowed to make, uh, experiences that are kind of for them to talk about, uh, like, so they can be doing their own thing, talking about depression and how their experience with depression is. Um, so I think writing it off as some kind of like, um, oh, they're doing this for the money kind of thing is maybe, um, unfair. Um, I, again, didn't really care all that much for that part of it. Um, to me, this was just a hardcore platformer and... Th that was fine that they had that stuff in there. They did some cool stuff with it that people who are smarter than me can talk about. Um, but yeah, I think that this game's primary benefit was not the narrative. Um, or at least that's what I got out of it. So as you said, anyone smarter than Adam that wants to comment on that? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, as somebody who has dealt with anxiety and depression, um, I don't know if you guys also have, but I certainly have. Um, <clears throat> uh, there, there was a, a number of scenes that kind of struck home where I was like, wow, that feels like that feels real. Um, and kind of the personification of her anxiety was kind of an interesting, um, way to approach that uh, the um the subject for me it's not like it's not new certainly um but um <clears throat> like I, I thought that the concept of like on, on a certain level just running away from <laughs> from your anxiety uh by trying to beat it to the end of the level um was an interesting concept um and the fact that you know it's gonna catch you and kill you 30 times before you can actually you know beat it um also struck true so then would i be correct to say that you think that actually in some ways the incredible difficulty and the incredible repetitions of failure actually fit into the anxiety narrative more than maybe we had initially given it credit for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, what, what's, what Madeline says about like wanting to, you know, climb this mountain for herself, like, and her mom is like, why don't you just come home? Like, that sounds dangerous. It, um, and then like, her struggling uh, uh, to to do that and like just failing over and over again is definitely part of it. Uh, it's not it, it, that's that's the cycle of trying to get over something. <clears throat> yeah. Do you, what do you, what do you think? So do you think that transcends what I was sort of like the sort of I don't know just sort of quick 
dis, uh, you know, throw away that I had when I when I first started playing this game? Yeah, I mean, I think I well, after having now listened to James's uh, interpretation of it, and also just having done some background research into the narrative and saying the developers themselves said that each level is supposed to personify a part of her anxiety or depression. Um, yeah, I don't, I would not consider it just like a cash grab for, you know, Ooh, we're trendy. We talk about depression and anxiety. Look at us. Um, I do think there's actually more than meets the eye with this narrative, uh, in regards to, it's not just the snippets in between the levels, but it could even be interpreted in the midst of the levels themselves. So, also, as oh, far as like no, the larger the larger idea of it being a cash grab, like I think that it is calling it maybe trendy is is a bit disingenuous, just because it's people hadn't really talked about you know mental illness prior to to the current era, um, and now it is acceptable to do so. So I think that people maybe have always wanted to talk about these kinds of things, but it is just not it hasn't been something that people really did. Mm. Um, but now that there's more awareness about it and more like willingness to engage with that topic, um, we may be seeing more things coming out of it from, from there, uh, rather than because it's like in vogue or like the latest colors, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that each level kind of representing one, some aspect of her anxiety, that feels a little bit much to me. Like... They had that idea after they completed all the levels, and they were like, "Let's see if we can do this." That that's what it feels like to me. But, um, but it, I mean, it's not it's not bad. I, I think they did a good job. I'm curious. Yeah. So I oh, if ahead. um just kind of going off of the subject matter themselves. And I guess this kind of actually goes back to the sound design, but for some reason for the gravity of the themes and the content itself, um, I was kind of annoyed by the dialogue noises <laughs> that they were doing. <laughs> um, it's like this weird pig Latin, cause like you can almost discern some English words in there or even like a different language it's like this weird pig latin but they're all saying it in these like babyish tones and i almost felt that undermined part of the narrative like there's there's a part where um she is like on the phone and um the person on the other end is telling her to breathe in and out, like presumably like a panic attack is coming on for Madeline. But like in this babyish garble that they were saying it, I felt like that kind of detracted. And I want to know your guys' thoughts on that. If it's just me that's annoyed with that kind of speech pattern, like wouldn't it have better if they just did like, um, I don't know, in some 8-bit games, they do just like a typing noise, like the like for dialogue. I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts on that. Or just no sound. I, th I thought it worked. Like, I thought they did some fun stuff with the dialogue. It didn't bother me. And, like, it was another tool that they had. Like, that you can hear them changing tone. Um, so, you know, sometimes Madeline will get, like, a really deep voice when she's, like, 
being sarcastic and annoyed by someone and just like kind of but not deep but a low voice um so you can get inflection that way which you couldn't get with just a typing noise or with silence um but then you also don't have to like hire a voice actor um and they also did some fun stuff about it like when theo says yolo it actually yolo <laughs> like it was kind of fun um they also did fun stuff with the text and it bouncing around and getting jumbled and and I think that they put a lot of thought and work into the uh, dialogue sections. Um, no less work than they put into anything else in the game. Um, and I was not annoyed by the um, the sound effects that went along with it. I thought that those were an additive experience. Or an additive to the experience. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it. Like, I definitely think that they played around with it. And it was a little fun. Um, but to me, it was sort of a sign of like this game in all intents and purposes is like 90% just a normal game. And then they put window dressing of anxiety and depression on it, which doesn't even have to be bad. But it's just that like this reminded me of like an old school game from when I was like a kid that, you know, like some Banjo-Kazooie game or something you know, when they're talking to each other and they're like quirping or whatever. And I just thought like, this could easily be a happy story about whatever nonsense, but instead it's not. And that feels sort of strange because then I'm back into platforming, which is kind of like a neutral space. And then I go out of that into this narrative. Um, but it, it, it didn't, I don't think it bothered me like too, too much, but it just, to me, it, it was like a sign of like, this is actually really close to just a normal game. They just decided to, to change this aspect because they wanted to. Fair enough. I definitely agree that it did kind of clash with the um, with what they were actually saying, uh, but sometimes. Um, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, does a game have to commit so wholly to its theme that you like walk into it and there's like, it's like immediately from the title screen you know this is going to be about anxiety and depression. Like, I, I think that's maybe that's the gardens between. <laughs> Well, that's a uh, no, no, no. It's that's the beginner's guide, right? Well, no, beginner's guide also had a bunch of uh, uh, like it tricks you. Um, so let's talk about that comparison here. I think that's a really valuable one because, okay, yes, you're right. It does trick you and stuff, but it's um, it it. So that's fair. Uh, but it, in my eyes, does I would say a near infinite better job at dealing with this topic and i'm not saying you need to have deal with this topic perfectly i actually really liked celeste um for what it was uh and i was was pleasantly surprised by what it was doing but i th i think of if you really wanted to deal with the subject matter which maybe they didn't want to 100 percent commit to it like you're saying um, but if you really do like the beginner's guide was there for me that was that was in it deep in a way that i thought really was beautiful and really was tactful and strategic whereas this was like we have a hardcore platformer and we dress it up with the stuff and maybe maybe that's fine maybe that's good and, and i'm not saying that's bad but the difference is is, is just stark for me is that true for anyone else but sorry real quick mccoy i want to say but the guy in the beginner's guide he occasionally sounded happy at all so what's up with that yeah yeah that that's like, all though to sort of make you question what it is like that was behind his happiness like it really is to like just slowly acclimate you with the character and then eventually you're 
lost within him and within the other person and you're seeing just how dark it really is and you're starting to question the entire previous experience you've have it's it's not like real happiness it's like fake happiness well sure why can't that be the case here I was going to say, I think it's just kind of a matter of preference at this point. So, like, clearly, McCoy, for you, the beginner's guide, that underlying message really hit home for you. Um, Whereas the messages in Celeste, you know, uh, like, were really poignant for James in ways Mm. that weren't for you. And I think that just comes to the manner in which that theme is expressed. Um. The Beginner's Guide is a bunch of soliloquy, and it's a bunch of, um, you know, the voice acting is a very distinct part of the Beginner's Guide where you can, you know, feel the narrator's sadness or concern as he's talking about Coda's games. Whereas with Celeste, there's not that much of, you know, there's virtually no uh, voice acting. It's this uh, garbled text kind of language but that doesn't mean the themes that celeste expresses are any less important i think it just had a different effect on you than it probably did for other players of the game um and so i don't think you know any game you know has a right or wrong way of expressing anxiety or depression um it's just different ways and it wasn't as heavy hitting for celeste for you and i think that's okay I think. Oh yeah, sorry. I just want to like just say that. Oh no, it's totally okay. Like I don't mean to blame Celeste for it. I just want to say that I think it's a, a, a result of the medium, or or maybe that I don't like platformers and that I can engage with them as well. But just that it it could not. Like I look at it and I rolled my eyes at the beginning and not at the end or whatever. But I rolled my eyes at the beginning because I was like a platformer is not gonna is not gonna go as deep or as well as I think another medium could. And, that, and that's all. And I'm not saying it needs to. Like, it, it misses out for not. But I just sit there and go, like, there's just no way that this is going to touch on that topic in a beautiful and deep a way as something like Beginner's Guide. There's just no way. And I think that might just be a result of what a platformer is and what that game is. And it doesn't have to be its fault, but it's just a limitation of the medium. I take contention with that point. I think, I, yeah, I, I think I kind of want to say that um, the Beginner's Guide is, is partly designed to get people that have never struggled with depression into a mindset where they can understand what's going on. Um, kind of like a, a poem or, or like a novel can do. Um, whereas this game is a platformer. No, just kidding. Uh, whereas this game, <laughs> uh, this game, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, it's not trying to do that for you. It's, um, it's, it's presenting, a, a person who is currently struggling with those things. So it's, uh, and and it does that to me like faithfully. So, like if you know if if you if you know what to look for, y- you or if you have experienced it yourself, you you can feel that connection. But if you don't, then that's not it's not really going to 
bring you to those emotions in the same way. Does that make sense? And, yeah, that, that, that's a great point. That's a good way to approach it. Because, I mean, because, like, one thing about depression is that it's mostly invisible. <clears throat> that's kind of what I was trying to get at there with the, the voice. Like, McCoy, you were saying that it kind of takes away from it, and it's like, well... Like, depressed people aren't, like, there's not, like, a big flashing sign. Like, the way they speak, it is not, like, oh, it's, they're talking like a depressed person. Um, Like, their voice has changed because they are depressed. Like, that's not how it is. It's just, this is the way they chose to do the voices, and people are allowed to look happy and appear that way. Um, And it just is, that's part of it, right? Yeah, Absolutely. No, I, I, don't, I don't really have a problem with that per se, as much as it's just that to me the platformer genre just cannot do the same level as as other genres can, and I don't think that means that this game is is lesser because of it. Like I thought it was great for what it was. I just it's like it's like saying like this is a children's story that's going to deal with depression. Like that can be valuable, but it's not going to be the same level of depth as something else, and that's okay. It's still what valuable. You, what do you mean by depth? Depth as in like. This touches on these themes, and that's cool. And it can use that, and I think it actually does use that in all sorts of plays, including gameplay, and that's rad. But, like, Beginner's Guide, like, takes you there in a way that this doesn't. This touches on it, and if you're familiar with it, it it reminds you of those things, and maybe in a playful way, and maybe in a kinder way. And you can say, oh, yes, I remember that. I know that theme. But Beginner's Guide is like, I want you to fucking feel it. Um... And that's just a different experience to me. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but I'm saying it's just, I don't think you could make me fucking feel it with a platformer game (laughs) is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. That's probably fair. And maybe I'm wrong. No, I I think, I I think that's fair. I think that that is unfair. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. (laughs) Um, Well, I don't disagree that Celeste doesn't like focus on it as hard. Like, again, I think they, they really wanted to make a, good platformer and they did um and it's i don't think it's quite window dressing but you know the original game was a four-day game jam game and it was has most of the same mechanics and is has most of the same appeal um and then they layered that stuff on top of it i very much doubt that in that four-day game jam they were considering these themes um i may be wrong there i don't know what was going on but that's my suspicion um and but to say that a platformer cannot speak deeply about depression and hit as hard as a experience like the beginner's guide, I hesitate again to call it a game because there was no gameplay. Um, there was simply progression through scenes. And so, whereas the embodiment of, of beginner's guide may have had some impact, um, the, there was, you didn't have the tool, which you can use for this kind of thing of gameplay to bring someone into the theme. Um, you can have gameplay that interacts really well with the themes um, and brings you there, um, as you say. Uh, and I don't think the Beginner's Guide made use of that necessarily, um, whereas I think other games could have. And again, I'm not arguing that Celeste did. But to say that a platformer is incapable of experiencing these things as deeply as a walking simulator is folly. And I would disagree with you on that point. Seems awfully reasonable. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like maybe, maybe, but like, I don't know. I like what I'm envisioning is a platformer that 
has very little platforming that just tries its best to, to lean into the narrative aspect of it to get to it. Um, maybe that's not what you're envisioning. Narrative can be experienced through ways that are not just dialogue. Um, you can have sections in a game where... Uh, th so this is just me spitballing, but you can have a game where you start off with lots of capabilities. Like, you, you know, you've got like a triple jump and um, the levels are kind of easy by comparison. Um, and then maybe you go back through the same levels, but it has stripped away a lot of the things that you used to have. This um, is the perfect time to use the term ludonarrative dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit us with that term, James. <laughs> Get that all up in here. Which is We're gonna one use of those it a lot. stupid long-ass terms that I learned from Day 9. <laughs> it's a good term, though. Um, so, sorry, do you no, want to Please define or this term, please, just for the dumb people like me here. Yeah, so ludonarrative dissonance is... Uh, from Wikipedia, the conflict between a video game's narrative told through the story and the narrative told through the gameplay. Uh, <clears throat> fascinating. Ludo, Ludo being the base for game narrative, uh, I think we know that one. And dissonance, yeah, that's another term that people probably have in their head. Yeah. So, so the gameplay and the story are fighting each other sometimes in this game for you. Yeah. And I agree with that. Like for me, I, I mentioned already the scene that goes over long and is a little over hard where you're, it's supposed to be a triumphant kind of moment where you're chasing away the anxiety and finally dealing with it. Um, but it takes you like, you know, 20 minutes to do and it's hard. <laughs> instead I mean, of, yeah, it should be hard, I guess. Instead of in real life but... when it takes you three years and it's hard. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I guess let's see. Where do people stand in terms of how much more they would play this game? Like I personally would be more than happy to play more of this game. I've played about six hours so far. I enjoyed it. It was hard. I'm starting to reach the limit of my skill set, but I haven't got there yet, so I'm thinking about keep going. What about you guys? I plan I think... on finishing it. Yeah, I, I think this game has a lot to offer with replayability. I think that's another top like aspect of this game that I appreciate. Um, for me, it's just completion. I just want to be able to beat the game. I want to reach the summit, and that will be good for me. But I like that the game offers for the more hardcore gamers um, finding the all of the strawberries and finding all of the b-sides and then there's these like little blue trinket hearts that you can also find um in the games um, can you the... collect those though yeah yes. i actually watched somebody on a playthrough do it it is extremely hard because you have to chain your jump dashes between screens so apparently when if you like dash and then the swing screen changes you can dash back to the previous screen and you just kind of chain your what? jumps and keep going up wow yeah so all of the all of the crystal hearts are puzzles like that um so the very first crystal heart is uh if, if you find it um there's a little uh satellite dish that's blinking colors and some birds that will like make a little pattern and you have to do some shenanigans and dash in the right directions at the right time and then a heart will appear and you can just grab it um the one that zoe's referring to is the, basically, the trick of the puzzle is that, oh, you can get up there, you just have to um, abuse this quirk of the mechanics. And once you find that, it's actually not hard to execute on. Is it just a collectible, um, or does it give you something tangible? 
At the very end, um, after you've gotten to the summit, there's a an epilogue chapter. It's uh, just a collectible. The um, no, it's not just a collectible. Um, at the end, uh, if you have four of the crystal hearts, then you can enter a, a bonus level. Mm. Yeah, and so I know... Um, a quick question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead and say your question. Just quick question about the strawberries. Because there's a loading screen that says, oh, these don't matter, you don't have to collect them. And I'm like, you're fucking lying to me. These matter, <laughs> I promise you. And I was like, you dare disrespect me like that. I will choose the path through this game that I, I the difficulty level I think. And if you tell me this doesn't matter, and I trust you, and you fuck me, then I won't get to see some shit later. What's, do they do things? As far as I've seen, no. Um, I think the strawberries are a good way to have choosable difficulty. Um, so... If you just run through the game without worrying at all about the strawberries, uh, like it's still fairly difficult, and there are some sections where it's there's actually one level where there are no strawberries present at all, and it's the same level of difficulty. Um, but a lot of the strawberries are extra challenges um, that kind of make you think about the mechanics in a different way or um, execute some high technical skill level type thing. Um, but you can just skip them if you don't want to. There are a few times later on where I was like, yeah, fuck this strawberry, and I just left. There were a few um, times early on when I did that, too. <laughs> yeah, I think as soon as I saw that little blurb that's like, strawberries don't mean anything, I was like, well, fuck this. I'm not going to pay attention to any strawberries anymore. <laughs> In the first chapter, I got, I went for every strawberry I found, and I got them all. And then at the end, it was like, you got 10 out of 20 strawberries. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 yeah, a lot of them are hidden. Um, some strawberries are like fun little hidden collectibles. Like you have to notice that you can jump over here. They also did. They, ah, there's so many cool things. That, just little tidbits I want to mention about this game. Um, like they have a bunch of little hidden walls. Sometimes you have to break a wall. Sometimes you can just walk through them. Um, and it's not like some games where the tell for those is consistent. Like you just have to look for cracks in the wall and oh, okay, that's where you can do it. Um, some of them don't have any like almost any visible tell that you could point to but you still somehow know they're there um some of them have signs pointing to them some of them are cracked walls some of them are um just places that you should kind of want to explore somehow yeah, weird geometry so, that feels like why is that there i'm surprised some kind of intangible you went and for it's all so this, cool that they do that adam and you missed the pico 8 game I know. That is one of those classic examples of the geometry just looks like, I should explore that. Yeah. And you find it. Yeah, it's it's possible that I just... Did you guys get the, the crystal heart in the hotel? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> By the way, apparently strawberries do change the ending of the game, allegedly, if you get 150 of them. Um, but oh, interesting. But other than that, they don't do anything. I so. got less than 150. Um, and and I also still get a golden poop. What? that's sorry that's like what you get for collecting all the seeds in uh breath of the wild ah right right <laughs> um yeah in uh <laughs> at the end of this uh madeline makes a strawberry pie for everyone um and i got to see that scene and i don't know how it changes if you have more strawberries for your pie i think nice. 150 strawberries is a lot for one pie um, I don't have a good conception of how many strawberries that is, but it seems like too many. <laughs> so should we uh, should we rate the game? Well, I was gonna actually I was gonna 
there was something earlier in the episode that I kind of want to have more, just for my own sake, more extrapolation yeah, sure. on. And uh, Adam, you were saying how there's just a lot of like similarities between like plat platformers like this and like Super Meat Boy, and you said that there's a lot that can be um, compared with this. Now, my only experience with platformers prior to this was Shovel Knight which I promptly paid, played for maybe about 15 minutes and then I had to go do something and I never picked it up since. Um, but, <laughs> rip. Yeah, rip indeed. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts um, and anyone else who, um, you know, has prior experience with platformers. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the re a lot of the reasons I compare this to Super Meat Boy is some of the history there. Um, Super Meat Boy started out as a Newgrounds game before they decided to go and make it a full game. Um, Celeste had the same thing, where it was originally a game jam game and was then expanded into a full experience. Um, both of them are hardcore platformers. Uh, both of them have lots of fun hidden stuff that are kind of optional. So, like, going through the main beats of Super Meat Boy, like, you can even skip over levels if you are, um, like afraid of a particular level, you can just not do it in Super Meat Boy and like still get to the quote unquote end. Um, but then it has a lot of stuff that just allows it to be harder and harder. Both of them are super tight as far as, and I, I realize that I'm like that kid from the old predator, predatory commercial where it was like, join game design college. Oh, I'm just tightening up the controls a bit. <laughs> um, but they both like did all the best practices as far as I can see with a, a platformer to make it feel good. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um, Celeste has pretty substantial Wily E. Coyote time. So if you run off of a cliff, there's a grace period where you're allowed to just still jump, even though you're not standing on solid ground anymore. So uh, I heard a great description of this from a game designer on a podcast I was listening to. It was actually Drop Frames, I think, and it was one of their... Anyways, it doesn't matter. But the point is that he basically just said, why do I do that in my games? Why do I make it so you can jump once you leave the ledge? And he's like, because I love you and I want you to have fun. That's why. Like, I don't want you to hate this. I want you to have fun. That's the end. Yeah. Um, and it's so. a matter of, like, frustration a lot, too. Because it's like, people want to have the things happen that they think should happen. And because humans are fallible, sometimes there's a thing that shouldn't happen. But in our brains, we're like, that should have, that should have happened. And the game designer has to work around what the broken human mind believes to be true, not what it actually is. Um. So so you end up with things like Wily E. Coyote time and um, things like that. There was one note about Celeste that uh, I thought it could have done a lot better, um, which was clarity in the spikes. Um, there was a lot of cases where I like grazed a spike and didn't feel that I should have grazed it. I think they could have made the spike hitboxes a lot smaller and um, had it be fine. But they were like, as for me, they were kind of fuzzy edges, and there were a few stages where that was frustrating to me, where I would just clip the edge of a of a spike and didn't really feel like I had. Um, but maybe that's asking for them to be too nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way about the dust stuff, where when you walk on the dust and it comes up, right? It's like these tendrils that if you trigger them by walking over them, then they send up a dust thing. You can no longer walk there, oh, yeah. forcing you to create a path if you want to get the strawberry right create a path through the level that will enable a second path through it again based on what you didn't hit um which was fucking rad by the way um to figure out of course i figured it out in the first like three 
instances of trying it, and oh, then oh, I took of, of another course. 180 to actually execute it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is kind of my main complaint with platforms in general, is I just suck at them, and it's not that rad to suck at them once you've already figured it out. Because I'm like, wow, this is rad, I figured it out. But it's just like, okay, I have to do it now. But anyways, some of the dust... I felt like I would hit and I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure if that was totally fair. I felt like I just, I don't know if I touched that, but maybe, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, this game has a lot of similarities with Super Meat Boy. In a lot of ways, I feel that it, it is a progression from that because um, people get more techniques and figure out what is good game design more and more over time. And Super Meat Boy was like a huge bombshell when it hit because it was just a really good platformer. And Celeste is, to me somewhat better than Super Meat Boy, um, and I'm sure if we actually had any listeners, I would get hate mail for that. Um, but I'll Celeste to me is... Oh, okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> How kind. Um, it was a progression from Super Meat Boy. Uh, like, it did more things, and that's not 100% necessarily better, uh, in the sense that um, Celeste did additive design more than subtractive design. Each level had its own gimmick, and... Mm. One could make the argument that a game should be able to carry on through, you know, 200 levels or whatever, uh, using only the main mechanics and not introducing anything like jump pads or or those blocks that you can steer, which I guess none of you guys got to see yet. Um, but I guess like I why, like why would you put that limitation on yourself? Why not add cool stuff if you want to? Um, so there are many much more intelligent people than myself who can speak on this, but don't um, start additive your comments with that. You're a very <laughs> intelligent person. Yeah. What I'm I mean to say, I'm down to be mad. <laughs> what I mean to say is, uh, yeah, that's, that's fair. What I mean to say is that there have been articles written on this before. Um, and, uh, portal two was one that came up. So portal was really strong in its main mechanics. This is me summarizing someone else's article. So sorry. I think David Serlin, I'm stealing this guy. David Serlin's great. Read his stuff. Anyway, um, so Portal 1 relied very strongly on the strength of its core mechanics and didn't have a ton of other stuff. Portal 2 had, like, the weird uh, hard light tubes and hard light bridges and floaty tubes and goo and and um, all these extra mechanics that didn't necessarily contribute. Um, and they also ended up taking away a lot of the, the emphasis on portals because in Portal 1... Almost every surface is like a portalable surface, and there are a few that aren't. In Portal 2, many of the levels are mostly unportable portalable surfaces, and only some are. Um, and Serlin chalked that up to, and maybe I'm misquoting him here, um, a focus on additive design, as in adding more, more things when you aren't getting what you want rather than pulling things away and focusing on what you have and what your strengths are. Um, Do you think it would be possible to continue to have portalable surfaces all over the place and still add new crazy shit? Like, it feels like it's like there's one decision that everyone universally seems to hate, which is you limited my options to put random portals places, and now I feel like you have a specific solution in mind that you're just trying to get me to find. Um, and then, like, like, don't you think you could just add cool shit in that in that sandbox and call it a day and be good? Um, I, un- I think that would be very hard to do. Until it gets too easy just because your random shit is just, like, stupidly effective at solving the level. 
in certain places. If you have too many tools at your disposal, it gets yeah. a little weird. It gets hard to make it difficult. Um, yeah, that's a Portal-specific discussion, That since none of us have played Portal in probably five, six years. Um, maybe not the right place for that. What are you talking about? I replay that game every Monday. <laughs> Zoe, why? <laughs> Zoe's like, yeah, I don't have any time these days, but part of it's because I play Portal every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe is a Portal speedrunner. Um, follow yeah, that her. That shit's hardcore. At... Have you guys seen that? It's amazing. <laughs> it's have to look rad. at that later. I haven't. Oh my god. Um, yeah, it's rad. I do need to go soon, though. Sounds good. Let's rate this bad boy. Oh my god, I was about to bring a pre-show discussion in here, and I'm not going to do it. But um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you're gonna make me i presume do the thumbs up thing which i will refuse to do um, yeah maybe so, if you understand the rating system then maybe you could use it as opposed to thinking it's binary and then just, i refuse like, why don't it. we okay, why don't uh, we do a, a design choice where we use the tools that we have instead of adding okay and the tool okay. that we have is the thumbs up system <laughs> um, okay hey, I, there's another tool that. we have which is speech and i'm gonna use that one right here hey fuck you james <laughs> no. No, no. Oh, oh. Oh, yeah. all right we, we need to go back to the game go back to the game <laughs> how about this right what if we did a reverse order such that by the time we get to adam there's like a, a mounting amount of peer pressure for him to just fucking get in line okay so, james why don't you start yeah yeah yeah. i'm gonna give this two thumbs up I really enjoyed my time with it, even when I was frustrated by it. I'm planning on going back to finish it. Uh, don't know when I'm going to do that, but I will. I promise. And um, I really enjoyed the um, the the story, even though it was a pretty story-like game. I thought that it was a beautiful, uh, artistic uh I don't know, peace uh, and uh, music was fantastic. All in all, super solid. Nice. Uh, yeah, I would probably give it two thumbs up as well. And um, for reasons such as as a non-platforming gamer myself, I do appreciate that the, the handicaps that this game gives so you can still experience the game while also uh, inflicting a challenge on yourself. Um. I will definitely go back and play this game um, all the way through, um, and I'm sure I will have a wonderful time playing it. The soundtrack is wonderful. Um, the story itself, mm -hmm. while I have not experienced much of the story yet, um, I'm sure from what has been discussed today, uh, there's a lot to look forward to. Nice. Um, I would give this a single thumbs up. I think it is a good game. It is a cool game. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it. I'm really bad at platformers, uh, so I sort of rubbed up against my sort of skill ceiling, if you will. But I, I appreciate that generally, like, and, and it does push you to, to get better, and I accepted the level of challenge that I accepted. I think I will probably go back to it. It definitely led me to stop playing at certain points, being like, I think I'm going to do something else that hurts me less. Um <laughs> But I, I like that experience, um, just up to a point. So yeah, I think it is cool. Um, I think, yeah, the mechanics are, are sweet. I think it's a surprisingly simple game. And I know we're talking about how it builds on other platformers and stuff, but considering platformers have been on for so long, I think it's amazing that they still are somewhat simple. 
and that it really is just master these core mechanics of jump, grab, climb, dash. Um, yeah, I think it's really cool. And I think it, it kind of won me over with, I think it was doing a good job with the themes that it touched on. And I thought, hey, you know, this, these levels are really fun and this thing is a cool thing and I'm glad I played it. So there you go. Um, so you guys have kind of put me in a corner here because nice. this game is very, very good and I would recommend it to almost everyone. And so like a two thumbs up kind of makes sense in this situation. Yay, um, this we game converted just... him! <laughs> <laughs> um this game is just so so polished it's clear that they like every piece of the game was given a lot of attention um like that even the way they display text even the way they have portraits and the way they use the portraits uh like battle line will actually move out of the portrait in the speech sections a couple times which is cool um i'm not necessarily a person who can speak to the narrative impact of the game because i am not um affected by these kinds of things and so don't feel qualified to talk about it. But um, as far as a platformer goes, this game does all the right things. Um, the only problems I have with it are like such minor nitpicks that it's like, no, just play this game. Um, if if you can handle hardcore platformers, um, this is a game for you to play. And that's like a full stop. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you all for coming. Thank, Thank you. you all for taking the time. What are we playing next week? That's right. Alrighty, so it is my turn to play a game or pick a game. And uh, the next coming weeks, I believe it will be a two-weeker, um, judging just by the game time. But we are going to be playing a little game called The Cat Lady. Um, <laughs> oh, the God. Cat Lady? And I right. am so pumped for it. Um, I know very little about this game. All I did was I watched part one of a let's play on youtube back in 2013 2014 regarding this game and after i watched the intro i immediately stopped watching the let's play and i said well i want to play this game all the way through spoiler free is so, it available on a system that you have i have boot camp now so that doesn't oh. matter <laughs> awesome live in large <laughs> also it's on sale 50 percent off Oh, perfect. Look at that. Steam? Yeah. Rad. Oh, man. I was just about to ask if we're going to get Doki Doki Literature Clubbed, but this game is already a horror game, it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I am very excited for this game. Um, It is coined as a psychological horror, um, but it has some cool cool aspects of the game that I'd love to play. So there are... um, The game is set up in seven chapters, I believe. So maybe for this week, uh, maybe try to get play through chapter four. um, And we will maybe reconvene, see where everyone's at, and discuss this game. I hope we get reverse Doki Doki Literature Club, and this just turns into a (laughs) (laughs) rom-com. Holy fuck, what if, though? Dude, that's rad. About cats? <laughs> no, about like horror creatures like Freddy Krueger. And he's like, actually, I'm actually a sweetheart, you know? I wish I didn't have these claws. <laughs> Freddy Krueger's domestic life. I yeah, love he's it. like, do you know how hard it is to relate to someone when your hands are knives? It's tough. <laughs> you can't touch them. You can't feel them. You can't be with them. I like knitting, but I'm very bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> All I do is destroy things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm excited and, and nervous. 
yes. cool. Awesome. I'm going to try to keep my, like, just judging to a minimum. Because, like, the second you hear the, the name Cat Lady, I'm like, all right, well. Uh, but, you know, hey, I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be rad. I'm going to keep my judging to a maximum. I'm going to judge it awesome. If it's awesome. <laughs> all right. Sweet. Can't wait. All right. Okay. So. Should we call this thing? I was going to say, let's call this. Let's yeah. press that let's button. Let's press that button. <laughs> Great choice.